Uh, do you have some decent stuff to talk about? Ah, uh, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's um, there's a feature in iOS. It's called Do Not Disturb. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Um, I am an 11 p.m. to uh, 6:30 a.m. kind of guy. So you have the automatic Do Not Disturb turned on? Oh, absolutely. I have that for my iPad. I don't have that for my iPhone. The thing is, if I'm out late, I will like probably have my phone in my hand and it'll be unlocked. Hmm. When you're out late, you just carry your phone around in your hand. Well, probably because I'm I'm obviously lost because because <laughs> I'm an adult and I don't go out past seven thirty. I see. Now I, I find that my schedule is a little too irregular to have it so that my phone is on a set schedule. That's not the case with the iPad because it you know just kind of sits at home, but. With the iPhone, I don't. I don't think I could have it on a, a regular schedule like that. I don't know. It generally works for me because I, I would never schedule it on my own, and I don't want to go through the because you don't always know when you're going to go to sleep. So therefore, I don't want to like manually set the silent switch and miss something important. Right. I actually have a funny story about that. You want to hear about this? Sure. So I th- this was with Do Not Disturb on. So which I think is kind of weird, but anyway. I had my phone plugged into my iHome dock, like I always do, and I was listening to a podcast, which I frequently do, you know, when I'm going to sleep, and I have the Hey Siri option turned on, and apparently at some point during the podcast, Siri thought it heard the phrase, Hey Siri, Mm -hmm. because as the podcast was playing, it activated itself, and it was was weird, because like, you know, the screen turns on, and the audio stops, it's very jarring. It's pretty good. Um, have you ever listened to uh, Jason Snell's uh, Upgrade show? No. It's worth listening to, but he also, uh, because I think they had an issue with saying Hey Siri before, uh, he only refers to it as uh, Ahoy Telephone, <laughs> which I find very amusing. So when he's speaking about the feature, he refers to it as that. Exactly. As to not enable the feature inadvertently. Exactly. Hmm. Well, actually, they had a really good uh, point. So um, a week ago, they had uh, something about like alarm tones, and he played an alarm tone that he uses for uh, his alarm clock and timers. Uh, Apparently, they got a whole bunch of feedback from listeners uh, upset that they thought they were late for something. Does that happen (laughs) with you uh, when you hear your alarm ringtone out of context? I don't think I use that tone for anything else. So if you hear that as somebody's text message ringtone or something else, do you feel like you're late? Yes. And I I also, for some reason, whenever my phone is on a desk and it starts to vibrate, I I o- almost always associate that as a I'm getting a phone call. I don't I don't really know why. Because <laughs> um, because the vibration always starts like a half second before the ringtone. That's right. I so maybe it, yeah so maybe that's a freak out like ugh. Right. Because nobody likes the telephone. Oh, it's the worst, right? It is. Why can't people learn to use text? The only thing that's worse than a phone call is a voicemail. <laughs> because it's like a recorded version of the thing you hate the most. Do you forget people who will call you, hang up, call you again, leave you a voicemail, and then you send you a text saying, hey, check your voicemail? Yes. I kind of think those people don't, should be like banned from using technology for like a year. I think I think we talked about this on the private beta period, but it, one of my biggest pet peeves, this is particularly true at work, has become people who send an email, and these are people who actually work in the same office, frequently on the same floor. Sometimes at a technology even, company, no less. At a technology company, nonetheless. And they will come over and ask the question, oh, did you did you get my email? As if somehow lost emails were some pervasive problem on the internet they might still think it's 1992 and you have CompuServe and they have prodigy and it just it doesn't talk the tubes don't talk even back in the day i mean you were an earlier internet user than i was but back in the day which is as you would say was were lost emails a thing was that an issue not really it's just that there were proprietary email systems and it was like before the mid 90s email didn't always talk hmm so maybe maybe I should give these people the benefit of the doubt and assume that this well, is a byproduct of that. How old are they? Some of these folks are older. Okay. 
but it's it's just I don't know. Do, I do find they forward it to be all their inner office email to an at aol.com or at earthlink.net email address. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. I just I find it to be a very passive aggressive sort of question. It's just annoying because otherwise then why the fuck did you send the email if you were just gonna walk over to me and tell me that? So e- I mean email email in general, I think for people who work in the same office is somewhat unnecessary. Well, I'm not inter- entirely sure about that. It depends on the size of the company. And as companies grow, I think it becomes more and more important. And a lot of times, just relying on verbal communications is not the best way to do things because you have no kind of uh, written history of it. Maybe I'll rephrase this. So I think of the situations where people send another person in the same physical location an email, mm-hmm. I would say 75% of the time, whatever question or issue or topic that was being discussed through that email could have been resolved or discussed or whatever the context is more quickly if the conversation just happened in person. So I think you just need to get the entire company on Slack. You know, actually, a lot of the company does use Slack. I've been meaning to tell you this. A lot of the project management folks use Slack. I've been noticing this. It's it's incre- it's, it's taken over the industry. Uh, does uh, the finance team use it? The finance team does not use it, No. We actually use, much to my chagrin, Skype for instant messaging. Oh, God. Yeah, it, it's, um, it, it does its purpose for things like, you know, this, this podcast or internet radio show, as you would say. But for instant messaging, it's not great. It's uh, soup. It's the most bloated possible way you could do IM. It's really not great. Yeah. But it's, you know... The problem is once everybody gets like huddled around something, it's hard to break away from that because you have to get everybody to agree to move on to something new. Mm-hmm. I think they call that the network effect. Is that what they mean by that? I'm not. I'm not I think so. Mm. I could be using that incorrectly, but I think I think that's what it is. Yeah. So I have I have a question for you. Sure. So you, you know, we, we text frequently during the week, um, and you had mentioned at some point this week, a couple of days ago, and this has been weighing very heavily on me since then, that you were upset at me about something and that you wanted to share your grievances on the show. Uh, yes and no. So I- I'm going to, I'm going to save it for the end, but I'll, I'll give it like a, a slight, just to keep people interested. So they listen to the entire show and they have to listen to all the sponsor breaks. Um, I am, for the first time on this show, going to say that you were right and I was wrong. Wow. You know, this show actually may, because, you know, I'm going to be out of town next week, this show actually may become a two-parter. So folks may even, if we save this until the end, have to wait until the following week. I think people will switch to something else. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you can hold uh, um, somebody. You can't uh, do a cliffhanger on a a low-rent basic cable podcast which is basically what this is i i think low rent is a bit harsh but i feel like we've we've honed our craft (laughs) you know people don't realize carlos they or at least they probably don't realize that we have been doing this for almost exactly three years now Mm. they they haven't been coming out all that frequently but it's on it's been about well pretty i mean definitely over the last two years it's been pretty consistent yeah. So, you know, this wasn't something that was just, you know, thrown together at the um, last minute. Yeah. So people will get to hear about that pretty soon. Uh, it involves uh, LeBron James. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? It involves, what you were right about involves LeBron James. Oh, okay. I see. Hmm. Well, basketball is my thing. It's not basketball. Okay. Got to keep, got to keep the people thinking. Hmm. Interesting. You're, you're certainly keeping me thinking. I feel like I'm going to be a little off on on the show, but I'll I'll try to make do. Okay. All right. So, what do we want to start with? Uh, it seemed like a rather slow week. So, um, again, that's mainly because I'm an anti-tablet person. So, what was probably the biggest news of the week uh, impacts me to to no end. I think it impacts even people who, like me, are still somewhat into tablets, maybe still not so much. Um, but okay, so what we're talking about is 
this was a little bit unfortunately time, but Apple had their iPad event last Thursday, so the day after our last recording. Why don't they schedule their events around our recording schedule? You know, I I think that's a that's a great question. Um, we should you know you should talk to your buddy Phil about that. Is this something that would have happened when Steve was around? I'm not sure. Oh, that might be too soon. Uh, it's so it, it's been three years now, and you still see after every event, there's always the like there's a few decent articles that get that get traction that pose that very question about whatever it is, and I really thought that would have died uh, died down by now. I've I've noticed this though. I, I don't know if you've noticed the same thing. I feel like some of the Apple like jackassery has died died down a little bit, a little really? bit. It's still out there, but I feel like I don't know. Like you know how a few years ago there were just I mean there were like a half dozen different things. There were the Apple needs to make a netbook. Apple needs to. Gosh, what I mean, what else did they have? Um, I guess I'm I guess I'm not really. I'm not really thinking of too many great examples right now, but I just well, feel like there was a one lot where uh, the, uh, the the prime jackassery was uh, the iPhone doesn't have a keyboard and it's not good for business applications, right? Uh, you know the the bomber. <laughs> I just, I feel like some of that stuff has maybe quieted down a little bit. Well, there, there was, was that, a, there was that one guy earlier in the year that said the Apple Watch needs to come out within sixty days, otherwise the company's doomed. Yeah, I guess I guess what's gone away a little bit is there isn't. There aren't calls for Apple to make new products or modify their existing products in unreasonable and what would likely be unprofitable and not very good for the consumer ways. Well, that's because Apple's doing that themselves for them. Ooh, I like I like that segue because this is this is what I wanted to ask you about. So, you know, the event the event was what it was. You know, it was pretty widely known what we were going to see before then. We talked about it most on the show. Like in two sentences, we can pretty much summarize it. It's the iPad Air 2, the, the iPad Mini 3, it's the Retina iMac, minor uh, refresh to the Mac Mini, a couple of small things, you know, iOS 8.1 came out um, on Monday, which they announced at this event, um, uh, the watch kit development, or watch kit, which is the development kit for Apple Watch is coming out in November, and that's, you know, that that was, oh, and Yosemite was made available that that's that's pretty much what the event was so i don't really think there's a lot to discuss there maybe we'll come back to one or two of those things but so the thing i want to hear from you and you tweeted about this during the event was there there's a there's a slide and i actually copied a link to it in the slack as well where apple put up their ipad product line and i think your your caption in the in the tweet was what a mess so what what do you what do you mean by this? So how many sizes of iPad are there? So the slide that I'm looking at here you know, actually how many, how many sizes are there? Screen sizes. Oh, just sizes. Um there are I guess just two. Okay, so how many models do you think the customer should have to choose from if there's only two screen sizes? Are are we counting colors and storage spaces as no. part of those? No. Okay. Um you probably well, say I, I two, would think right? I would think two, maybe three, but I would say I would lean towards two being the right number. Okay. And how many, how many are there actually? Uh, well, let's see if we can count this. So there is, let's start, I guess we'll start with the mini, right? So the mini still has the original non-retina version, the iPad mini two, which I think is the first retina version, and then the iPad mini three, which is the basically same retina version just with uh, Touch ID. So that's three. And then with the iPad Air, we still have the original iPad, and then we have the iPad, I'm sorry, iPad Air, and then iPad Air 2, which, you know, slightly faster processor, Touch ID, thinner, lighter, blah, blah, blah. I feel like I'm missing, are they still selling like the iPad 2? I think they still sell that for like educational channels, um, but I don't believe so. So it's down okay. to five models, and then you then have three different storage capacities for every single model. Uh, you have uh, two to three different colors for every single model and storage capacity, and you have the Wi-Fi and cellular versions for the four national carriers. How many boxes is that for an Apple store to keep on hand? Like it seems, it seems like madness. It's a lot of SKUs. 
it's just so particularly with the iPad Mini, how how does somebody explain to uh, just your average consumer what is the difference between iPad Mini, iPad Mini Two, iPad Mini Three? I think we talked a little bit about this last week when the names leaked out. I think what's most odd about the mini line in particular is that the iPad mini 2 was never referred to as the iPad mini 2 they retroactively until this renamed event. something. Yeah. It just, Which, it makes no sense cuz one the iPad mini shouldn't exist. I'm like it's 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 too it's too slow. Like I again, I think this is the same issue, and also, well, it's the same issue because these are all available in sixteen gigabyte storage capacities. But it's the same issue that I think uh, Apple has with the iPhone five C eight gigabyte, and also the iPhone six sixteen gigabyte model, which is they're setting the consumer up for failure by selling something that's too small or not capable enough. I so completely I think that model yeah. just needs to. It, I understand that they want to make it at a price point that starts at two fifty. That's not worth it for the expense to the brand of people thinking, well, Apple stuff that's finally affordable is just a gigantic piece of crap. Or sorry, a piece of crap mini. <laughs> a mini piece of crap. Thank you. I, awesome. I I agree with the 16 gigabyte storage size. So they, um, again, as as you would say, they you know, they doubled down on the 16 gigabyte starting point for these new models. So we've, we still have the, just like with the new iPhones, the just bizarre gap between um, 16 and um, 64 gigabytes, which it just, I, I just, I'm sure, and I'd be really curious what it is. There, there has to be a reason that it's not for no reason, but it just seems weird. And also when you consider that between the iPad mini two and the iPad mini three, which we should clarify the only literal difference between the two models is that it comes in gold for Asia and it has Touch ID. So, yeah, actually, so when I was looking at this um, image that we keep referencing that shows the whole iPad line, I wasn't actually paying a whole lot of attention to pricing during the event because I, I, mean, I just I knew I wasn't going to upgrade, so I just almost didn't really bother paying that close attention. I didn't realize there's a $100 difference between the iPad Mini 2 and the iPad Mini 3. So you, you literally are paying $100 for touch id assuming that you don't want the gold version exactly and touch id i I would argue is dramatically less important on a on a tablet i would agree because with a tablet i actually don't even have a passcode on my ipad because it never leaves my apartment and also like if your if your tablet's missing like you 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 like your phone there's a much greater chance of you losing it but i just i don't get it yeah, I, you know, I, th- I think it's, you know, let's get our Gruber mentioned. And I think it was Gruber who talked about this on a podcast. His thing with the iPad is when it's at home, where it is 95% of the time, he doesn't have a passcode enabled. But then when he does on occasion travel with it, then he does, you know, enable a passcode. And that's what I do as well. And that's fine. You know, I, I, I do occasionally when I pull out my iPad, do try to put my thumb on the home button and like, oh, yeah, duh. But I mean, hundred dollars you know is kind of that's that's a steep asking price at least with the with the air you are getting a newer processor you know you're getting a slightly thinner you know device i guess the screen is improved they're doing like that lamination process that they've been doing on the iphones for a while where the glass is basically bonded to the screen so i mean there there are some you know, minor improvements with the air. So at least for the hundred dollar upgrade, you're kind of getting something besides touch ID, but with the mini, you're, you're literally, that's all you're getting. That's pretty wild. In a good way or a bad way. Oh, in a bad way. Um, so I, I thought, you know, Gruber wrote up a review of the iPad air. I thought it was pretty good. And, you know, he did his normal you know, review. It's, it's not in a lot of technical detail, but did a nice job summarizing the device. And it basically concluded with all that being said, I'm not going to buy one of these things. And I think that's I think that's a fair summary. Like I I think the iPad Air 2 is neat. I think the idea of having Touch ID on my iPad would be nice. I think having the slightly nicer screen would be nice. But I'm certainly not going to 
you know, sell my current iPad, go out and buy one of these and effectively have to spend, you know, a couple hundred bucks to upgrade. Like, no way. I don't know. It's just, it's disappointing. And it's frustrating because I don't understand if this is Tim Cook's strategy because I understand he's a, he's a great operations guy and he probably doesn't think that it's difficult for Apple to manage inventory and supply chain with this many different products. But I don't think whoever is making this choice is thinking about the expense to the brand of selling units that just... All of these are shipping with iOS 8. And the iPad mini has the processor equivalent of, I believe, the iPhone 4 and the iPad 2. And it's just going to make for a crummy user experience. And I don't think the number of units that they're going to sell at whatever margin they're going to sell them at, or whatever profit they're going to sell them at, is worth having a, a, a model that's at a cheap enough price point. I, I just don't think it's good. You know, it's interesting. That you, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, I don't have a great sense of how, you know, I, I don't mean this in a negative way. I'm actually kind of poking fun at us, but normal people, I don't really know how much they notice iOS running more slowly in older devices. The The example I'm thinking of is I have a coworker who had been running an iPhone, I think it must have been a 4S, iPhone 4S, until just about a week ago. Um, and then they upgraded to an iPhone 6 just in the last week. And they had made a comment that the iPhone 6 felt so much faster, which, I mean, going from an iPhone 4S to the 6, I, I would imagine so. But the point being that they never really noticed before using the iPhone 6 that the iPhone 4S was actually running slower. So I wonder if you don't have that point of comparison, if people maybe don't even notice. No, they notice. Do they? Okay. I, like, I, I, I think I have a different like viewpoint on it. But, you do. Uh, but, uh, oh my God, I, iOS 7 on an iPhone 4. Rough. I, I, I think... <laughs> So here's the thing, and also uh, I should mention I have I have apparently I have jury duty for the first time ever. So I think as a legal punishment in this in this country, we should take away people's <laughs> iPhone six or any current generation phone and make them use a, a phone from four years ago. I mean, you, rather, you know, rather, the... it would uncrowd the jails. It would it would solve everything <laughs> because it's it's maddening. It it literally takes like if you have a decent amount of text messages, it takes eight to ten seconds from when you tap messages to open your texts. If you have iOS seven installed, it's it's insane. So the other extreme on this perspective is someone like me who you know I'm kind of weirdly obsessed with how well my iPhone runs, and you know I I actually even think that the previous model like if you can like if i were to compare the 5s to the 6 i would be extremely unhappy with how the 5s was running um and so i mean i i I, i'm totally with you i think the idea of someone buying an ipad mini and trying to run ios 8 is crazy but i don't i don't know maybe maybe for a lot of people that is okay I, i don't know i honestly don't know um, you know, something else I want to ask you about though with these iPads is they're continuing to sell the uh, you know, LTE enabled version, the cellular versions of each of these. Why, why would somebody buy one of those? Because not only why are not? you paying, well, so you're paying $129 more for the actual device. Mm-hmm. Then you're paying, I don't know what it is to add a device to a shared data plan, $10, $15 a month, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, if if you're someone who has an iPhone, which I'm I'm guessing a lot of people who buy iPads also have iPhones, why why don't you just use the personal hotspot feature on your iPhone? Convenience. But the personal hotspot feature is more convenient than ever because now with iOS 8, you can just have it always kind of running in the background on your phone and have your iPad just automatically connect to it whenever you want it to. No. Without any interaction. No. I think it's the same way that you just said you think the iPhone 6 is faster than the 5S and you'd be dissatisfied with the 5S. 
having an iPad with an always on internet connection that you do literally nothing to and it just works and it already has all your content already synchronized to it is totally worth $10 a month on an AT&T mobile value share plan or or Verizon's more everything. It's hmm. it's totally worth it. And this is coming from the guy who no longer owns a tablet because I think it's not worth it. But in terms of convenience, like if there was a way to have my MacBook Pro have LTE in it, I would pay it. Yeah, see that, just being that, able to that's open weird it up, to me. do no fiddling with connections and it's just on is absolutely worth it. Well, but again, I, I think I there's mean, I think... there's a ten to fifteen second delay. Oh gosh. Coming from the guy who complained for like six months that the iPhone 5S didn't feel fast enough, or like you said, like, oh, this is not a worthwhile it, it never, upgrade. It never did feel fast enough. I cannot believe you think using personal hotspot is, is reasonable. Well, to be fair. If you're cheap, I, sure. But also if you're, if you, I mean. Well, I'm not, I'm, I mean, you know me, I'm not cheap. No, that's what I'm saying. Like if you're trying to be extremely, uh, sorry, cheap is the wrong word. If you're trying to be extremely frugal and you think it's unnecessary, that's fine. I'm also fine. not frugal, but okay. Hmm? I'm also not frugal, but okay. Then I don't understand your position here. Well, I, I guess where you, I'm oh, coming. Hold on, you bought, you had a perfectly good Kindle Paperwhite <laughs> and you just bought uh, whatever, we you should. bought the um the kindle voyage yeah we should we should come back to that we should tongue what's, what's the ridiculous car you bought like the ford f350 of of e-readers for no yeah. good reason so you don't get to lecture me, me on uh purchasing the cellular enabled ipad model Actually, the, the voyage is smaller and lighter than the paperwhite so the i meant in terms the of the big cost. truck analogy is not a good analogy in terms of cost. But... okay fine you bought the uh, you bought this uh, i don't know <laughs> Anyway, we'll we'll come back to the Kindle. What's an expensive tiny car? I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Maserati. That's a thing, right? Oh, uh, those are. Yeah. Okay. Um. God, what 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 the hell were we even talking about? <laughs> oh, the, how the, the personal about hotspot. Why, why would you pay uh for a cellular connection on an iPad? So what I was gonna say was that maybe my bias is that you know again like we were talking about earlier with the whole touch id versus passcode thing on an ipad you know my my ipad's at home 95 percent of the time so it's on wi-fi like if you so, use it as a business tool and you were able to in a lot of cases replace your laptop with it i think this would make more of a difference to you maybe whereas right now you take your ipad maybe out of the house once a week at most yeah and then and in those cases in a lot of times i don't even need the internet on the ipad but then when i do personal hotspots great and works fine I don't know. I, I think, I just, I don't know. I feel like you'd have to get a lot of use out of that and derive a lot of convenience out of that to justify spending 130 extra dollars up front and an additional $120 a year. That's, I don't know. That just seems, that seems like a lot of money for what I view as being a very minor convenience. But that's just me. Uh, what'd, you, what'd you spend on Uber last month? <laughs> Gosh, I don't even want to know. It's uh, Monday mornings are always a, a fun time to look at my credit card statement and just see Uber, Uber, Uber. That's bad. Uh, anyway, okay. I what think mean, that's what enough. do you mean, oh, anyway? <laughs> Mr. Uh, I, I uh, complaining about $10 a month versus uh, how many? Anyway. Well, although frequently I'm using the split fare feature, so I'm actually only paying a couple dollars for these Ubers. It's not like I'm rolling around in Uber SUVs by myself. As great as that would be. Okay. Um, so, all right, so um, anyway, so, so I think iPads, that's iPads enough with the mess, iPads. Still no reason know. to buy one. Um, so what do you want to, uh, uh, what's your interest in the uh, new Mac Mini and the new Retina iMac? I took a look at the Mac Mini. So, you know, this show is, is made possible by a Mac Mini, which, you know, we're currently recording on now. Um. But I don't know. I mean, my Mac Mini is is relatively new still. It's only I've only had it for about a year, maybe a little over a year. So though at the time the existing model was basically untouched for four years, right? They, they did minor processor bumps along the way, but yeah. I mean, I I upgraded the RAM in mine, which by the way you can't do in the new ones, which is bizarre. You don't need to. Yeah, why would anybody ever want to upgrade the RAM? Just don't don't touch it. Don't think about it. I mean, come on, 128 megabytes of RAM. Who who would ever need more? 16 gigabytes is enough for anybody. Um, 
I, I think that's that's kind of weird for a desktop. But in any case, no, I, I don't don't have any interest in the Mac Mini. I, my Mac Mini is fine, runs great. Um, the, I think the Retina iMac sounds awesome. I mean, if if I happen to come across twenty five hundred dollars, which is what one of these things costs. Um, I would absolutely love to replace my Mac Mini and my 24-inch cinema display, which is about five years old now, with one of these. That would be phenomenal, but can't can't really justify that. So, I haven't I, I haven't actually seen one of these in person yet. Have you? Uh, I have not. I've been told it's basically the same as the Retina MacBook Pro, so I probably wouldn't notice much of a difference. Yeah, but on a 27-inch screen, that would be pretty impressive. Yeah, I just I live a laptop lifestyle, so I don't I don't know. Yeah, I it mean, seems, I... it seems very fun, and I I'm just very surprised that it uh, there was no um, external monitor equivalent made available. I'm not. Why Why is that? Because it was it's my it's my understanding that even the latest Mac Pro doesn't actually support running monitors at this resolution. That the Thunderbolt two output doesn't support this monitor. So I think I think Apple would just have a huge problem if they tried to sell one of these displays separately. I mean even assuming that they did upgrade the Mac Pro to be able to support it, I just don't I don't I think they'd have I think they'd have too big of a problem with people trying to buy this monitor for computers that that can't run it. So I think it's I think you, you take that variable out by just, you know, selling this thing as a complete computer. I mean, of course, eventually they're going to have a Retina cinema display. I mean, that's that's not a matter of if, but when. But I think it makes a lot of sense for them to start this way, and then eventually, once they start selling more computers that could actually support it to begin with, sell a standalone display. That makes sense. Um, I mean, the, the reviews have been <clears throat> just off the charts on this thing. Everybody who's seen one of these just loves them. Um. It's a weird name. It's it's the I was actually just looking at it in the store. It's literally the iMac with Retina 5K display. And next year it'll be the uh, iMac 2. So don't worry. <laughs> well, yeah, or or, or in a, in, a, in a few years the model that comes after this will be the iMac 2. Having never been named that before. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I I I would shoot. I would. I mean, I would love to have one of these, but I just, you know, I don't actually even use the Mac Mini all that much. I use it for the show. I use it for some, you know, light photo editing in Lightroom, and that's that's about it. So, I guess if I if I was somebody who used an iMac as my primary computer, like if I like work from home or something, then yeah, I mean, this would probably be a pretty neat upgrade, but. I I can't justify twenty five hundred bucks. So, what do you think has allowed the iMac to become more of a premium computer? Because if you'll remember, when the uh, original iMac came out, it was kind of supposed to be the affordable computer, all in one for everybody. Whereas the iMac actually is a very high end machine, and with this display, is even more so. I don't know if that's necessarily by design. I think it goes back to what we were just talking about, where there really aren't any standalone computers, at least that you know that Apple sells regularly, that can support this display. And so by necessity, if they wanted to come out with a Retina desktop screen, they had to put power behind it, which they had to do with the iMac. So... I don't I don't think it's necessarily about the iMac becoming the kind of the uh as you would say workhorse of the product line but rather they knew they wanted to do a retina screen on a desktop computer and the iMac was kind of the only way to effectively do it and then by default the iMac had to be significantly upgraded hardware wise it is a weird spot, though. Like I was, I was reading a lot from you know Marco's been doing a lot of documentation about this along with Jason Snell, and I guess some of the higher end builds of the iMac are actually like, at least with certain applications, actually like even faster than the Mac Pro, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, it most certainly is. 
I think Marco actually said that he was selling his Mac Pro to get one of these, which is pretty interesting, especially because they waited for, or he, you know, I, I say they kind of like that whole group, like waited for years for that Mac Pro to get upgraded. And then like a year, less than a year later, it becomes entirely obsolete by the iMac. Yep. Who would have thought? I, I just want my Retina MacBook Air. Yeah, that seems next year, 2015 feels right. I feel like next year it's going to happen. And that's the first time I have felt that way. I've been pretty realistic with the MacBook Air Retina not not being an imminent thing, but I, th- I think next year it's going to happen. Cannot wait. <sighs> yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know if I'd I don't know if I'd go back to a, a laptop, but we'll see. It's it's so hard when my my work laptop's not a Mac. It'd be a no brainer if my work laptop was a Mac, but I don't want to I don't want to manage two laptops. That's that seems weird. Anyway, yeah. Hmm. Um. Well, I mean, I guess. Oh, I guess the other thing from the event. What I for, I forgot. I almost forgot it during the summary at the top too. Is uh, Yosemite. So Yosemite became available last Thursday for download, which was the same day as the event. And we have both upgraded our, you, you with your MacBook Pro and my, me with my Mac Mini, both upgraded to Yosemite. So how was your, how was your experience doing this? Uh, my experience was kind of like the same as, as always, because I'm paranoid and I'm kind of uh, old school with computers where I, I, I don't like upgrading in place. So I use this as, uh, I use like new OS releases as an excuse to kind of start clean see what I haven't used in a while, and just kind of start over. So, I mean, the install went fine. It it, it works. It's it's fine. It takes a, a fair amount of tweaking to make it work the way I expect a computer to work. Um, but no, it's fine. It looks... It, it, it looks fine. A lot of stuff looks weird, but it looks fine. I do enjoy um, this notification center deal. I, I, I've been a dashboard fan for a while. And I do like Notification Center or the, the the little widget thingy. I mean, Notification Center was around in Mavericks. I mean, um, like the today widget thingies. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think Yosemite looks nice, but I, I'm with you where I think the default system font looks kind of weird. That's because you're not on a retina display. Is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I, I mean, it doesn't look blurry. It just looks weird. I don't know. Just I don't know. It looks it just looks odd. And that's because it's not a retina display. I mean, I think most yeah. reviews, particularly Jason Snell, has has remarked that it um, looks dramatically better on a retina display, whereas uh, the old Lucida Grande uh, font uh, did not hmm. look. In- Got it. But I think in general, it it looks fine. Like the new icons are okay. I mean, they're very iOS 70, very flat. Um, but my, yeah, my experience was was pretty similar. I, I've actually, the last couple of times with OS 10 or OS X, as you say, releases, I've, I've done the actual upgrades where I haven't, you know, wiped the slate clean. But this time around, I wanted to break apart my um, Fusion Drive anyway. Um, just because I hadn't really been super happy with the performance on it and it was just kind of unnecessary. So when you ever, whenever you do that, you have to wipe both drives clean. So, you know, this felt like a good time to do it. So I, you know, broke apart the fusion drive and then installed Yosemite on the SSD and now have my terabyte drive just as kind of like a secondary internal drive. But, you know, similar to you, it, um, was pretty, pretty smooth, um, how did how did you go about creating a a boot disk? Did you follow the the Ars Technica method? Um, I'm a fan of uh, Lion Disk Maker X. It's a freeware application, and it works despite the name. Uh, it works for everything, uh, but it it automates all the um, disk image creation that most of those guides will tell you. It's a terrific freeware application. Yeah, that's that's actually what the the Ars Technica got. I'm I'm trying to um, trying to find it now, but they they used a piece of software which basically the same thing, kind of auto automated the whole thing. Um, where is this here? Oh, here we go. Yeah, they used um, 
uh, Disc Maker, Disc Maker X. Mm-hmm. Same idea. Um, you just input a USB drive, and after you've been, you know downloaded Yosemite, and it it knows where to find the files. It basically just does everything automatically. And yeah, it was uh, it was smooth, and I've been pleasantly surprised that all third party applications that I use work. Uh, Lightroom works fine. Um, Splashtop, which is the remote you know desktop software that we've talked about on the show, that works great. Um, you know, Skype, Slack, One Password. Every Mac app that I use works great on Yosemite, which is nice. My Drobo, you know, connected just fine. Um, it's nice. It seems like I don't know. It's, it seems like you know, growing up, I guess, on the Windows side, that would that would never have happened. I would have never been able to upgrade to the latest version of Windows the day it came out and had all of my games and apps or applications that I would have said back then run. That would have just been a pipe dream. Well, and you'd have live tiles everywhere. <laughs> well, no, I wouldn't. I'm talking about like back in the day. Oh, pre, you'd, pre-live tiles. You'd have a Windows active desktop. <laughs> you, you remember Windows 98? Of course. It, they tried to like embed web pages into the desktop for some reason. Yeah, well, I mean... And then your desktop could crash? I mean, why wasn't that a good idea? Uh, I actually do remember that. I think we've already talked about it, but but there's this whole generation of people that won't understand how difficult computing was. No, What what a colossal mess some things were. Like, nobody knows that you'd have Windows XP-ready drivers, otherwise half your shit didn't work. So that that's the perfect transition. You know, the other thing I should I should point out that I did this uh, breaking apart of the Fusion Drive on my Mac Mini and upgrading Yosemite on a Friday night. So you know, ladies Happen- listening out there, yes, happening times. <laughs> um, I was thinking about this after I you know completed the installation. I didn't have to install a single driver. I didn't have to reboot the system a single time that that's that's pretty sweet i mean it, it wasn't that long ago it was literally just a handful of years ago where i mean this is i maybe this is more of a mac versus windows thing more than it is like a time thing but with windows i mean no joke when you install the latest version of windows back you know back when you 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 literally would spend a full day installing drivers installing windows updates it, it's it's pretty amazing how far operating system installs have come and just how how mature not actually and it's actually maybe not just a mac versus windows thing because even with windows 8 for all for all of its faults which we've documented on the show you know i upgraded to windows 8 not that long ago and it, it was a pretty similar experience where there were no drivers i had to install like everything just kind of worked right right away um, and that's, that's, a, that's a big change over how things used to be. And I think like the biggest counterpoint is, I don't remember if you remember like windows 98 and windows 2000 or windows XP, where a lot of times you would just have to kind of, eventually your computer would just like stop running well. And you just have to, to <laughs> re, re, reformat yeah. used to be a word where oh, just totally. every once in a while you're just like, you know, I just gotta spend my weekend, you know, just rebuilding my computer because, oh, it windows just doesn't work like it used to. No, I remember um, it through like middle school and high school, it was a summer tradition. Like, you know, when I was out of school, had you know, a lot of free time on my hands, I would reformat my computer. That would just be a thing I do every year. And, and you know what? It, I mean, it was probably me being a little OCD about the way my computer ran, but I always felt like after I did it, everything was just way faster. I get those extra five frames in Counter-Strike. It's very important. Ridiculous. Um, all right, so that's that's Yosemite. It, Yosemite, it, it it just works, as Apple likes to say. So, what's your opinion of the the visual uh, style? Because you'll see uh, a few applications, um, like so, Chrome got updated with kind of like lighter lighter touches. Um, One Password redesigned to five point um, which I think is a fine looking update. I think they managed to kind of match the same visual style aesthetic um, without really compromising the functionality of the app. So I think, I think it's very inconsistent. I think one password looks great. I think actually Skype looks really nice. 
Um, but I, I actually think that um, Chrome looks terrible. How so? I, I think it looks it looks great. What's I think I think the fonts in Chrome are abysmal. Like I'm looking at my the fonts in Chrome are the Yosemite fonts. I well I know well maybe that maybe that gets back to my comment earlier about how I don't think the fonts look that great. But you I'm just, looking you, at you, like it's because your resolution's not high enough. Yeah, I mean, but my cinema display otherwise looks awesome still somehow. I'm like the I'm I'm like the biggest display nerd ever, but somehow I still think my five year old cinema display looks amazing. I mean, it has great color, but in terms of clarity, that's why the fonts don't look right. If you look if you use it on a non retina display, yeah, maybe. But I'm looking at the book bookmark bar, and um, I just oh, it's rough. Mm. Um. But I mean, yeah, I, I think overall, I, I think Yosemite looks fine. I mean, I think I think it looks I think it looks better. It looks more modern. Um, but I think mean, I thought OS ten looked good before too. So it wasn't like it was going from bad to good. Yep. Okay. Well, that's fine. Um, have you been able to test out and use any of the new iOS eight point one and continuity features? Yes. So, um, so we mentioned earlier that iOS 8.1 came out on Monday and I've been using, uh, I've been using the messages continuity a lot. Um, and I'm probably jinxing it now, but it seems that iMessages and just, I guess just messages in general now, because it includes SMS works like it always should have where everything is just in sync across all of my devices. Which is really, which is really cool. Like, I mean, it it should have should have been how it. I feel like continuity for messages is basically just like code for, hey, this was the promise of iMessages from the get go. Well, I'm not but, sure iMessage necessarily promised that because it was a different text messaging platform. Whereas now they've incorporated SMS relay, which makes it truer to what you expect it to have been. Well, but as as we documented well on the show, even straight iMessages never stayed in sync across my devices. It was a total mess. Well, it was. And, and I literally, every time I would accidentally open messages on uh, OS 10.9, uh, it would always ask me to sign in because I just never used it because <laughs> it was so horrible. Right. But at least so far in these first... Um, just first couple of days here, my messages have stayed perfectly in sync, which has been really cool and actually really handy. Um, you know, I will say though that, and that this isn't necessarily like a continuity thing. It, it is a little bit because there are some additional notifications you get, like, you know, on the iPad, you can have your iPad ring whenever you get a phone call on your iPhone, things like that. But, you know, if, if I'm sitting here in my apartment and maybe this is just me because I'm in a small studio apartment, so everything's kind of close together or whatever. If I was in a you know big fancy apartment like you're in, maybe this would be more useful. But you know, like all my devices are generally in the same room because my apartment really only has like one room, and it, I, I find it kind of annoying and not at all useful. Like whenever I get a text message and my iPhone goes off, my iPad goes off, and my Mac goes off with you know with notifications. Like that's that's not at all helpful yeah and i i think apple's getting closer to that with handoff and all those other features where eventually that will it'll it'll understand what device you're primarily using and allow you to silence the others i think they're getting there but duplicate notifications are are still kind of a pain in the butt that's what i was that's what i was going to say is it seems like a like a continuity 2.0 thing and I, i don't exactly know how technically this would work but yeah, having your iOS devices and your Mac all kind of coordinate with each other to better understand where you want to get these notifications, that would be that would be really neat. I again, I don't I don't know. I don't even know how that's really po- technically possible, but well, I assume based on whichever device like had had interaction like if you haven't woken up your iPad in a day and you've been typing on your Mac all day, it should realize that no email shouldn't buzz on that. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. There are some things you can probably do, but so yeah, I guess, yeah, in, in general with continuity, I, I think the messages piece is really neat. Um, the rest of it, I just don't really quite get the usefulness of it. I I've, I've tested out some of the like app handoff stuff between my Mac and my iOS devices. And I, 
I just can't ever think of a use case where I would actually use that. What do you mean? I just don't think I don't think I would ever really start something on my iOS device that I would want to pick up on my Mac. So or vice hand, versa. So for me, handoff not necessarily, but I have a lot of times where I'm I'm like hard at work on my computer and I do need to make a quick phone call on my phones in in the other room where I I think the idea of being able to answer or place a call from my Mac is extremely useful. So have you have you done that yet? I have not cuz I can't figure out how to get it to work. So I I I've, yeah, I've I've heard some folks complaining that it's difficult to set up and I've heard both with the iPad and with the Mac that the audio quality both for yourself and for the person you're talking to is just absolutely terrible. Okay, so, so I'll have to try it out, but yeah. it seems like in theory it would actually be a very useful feature for me. Okay. Yeah, I mean I again as someone who uses a Windows computer as their primary computer, I'm not a good example of this. And as then as somebody who only uses their Mac in their studio apartment where like as I'm sitting here at my desk now in front of my Mac, my iPad and my iPhone are literally arms reach away as they almost always are. So I mean that that stuff works, which is cool. I just don't I just don't know how, you know, useful it would be. Um, and speaking of uh, questionable usefulness, you know, the other big feature with 8.1 is the introduction of Apple Pay. So I, I set this up on Monday when iOS 8.1 came out, and I've used it. So one one of the one of the places that I um, will go to occasionally for lunch around my office is Whole Foods, and Whole Foods is a uh, participating partner with Apple Pay. They all their stores had, you know, the NFC readers prior to this. So I've used it actually the last couple of days at Whole Foods. Just actually I I <laughs> didn't design it this way, although it sounds like maybe I, I'm the type of person who would have. I, I honestly didn't. I just happened to go to Whole Foods the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. And um I used Apple Pay both days. And um it, it's neat. I mean it works like it's supposed to. Um I think it's really neat, cool how, you know, you, your phone doesn't even have to be unlocked. The screen doesn't have to be on. You can you just literally pull it out of your pocket, not do, not press any buttons, not do anything. Just hold it up against the reader, you know, the NFC reader, and the screen turns on. Your primary card shows up. Your default card rather shows up. You put your thumb over Touch ID, and that's it. Get a little vibration saying, "Yep, yeah, everything's good," and away you go. So it works really well, but I just, I don't know. I, I feel like the number of places you can use it is so limited that the, like, you know, Apple's obviously pitching this as being like a replacement for your wallet, which sounds really cool in concept, but I, I was seeing some numbers the other day that the number of retail locations with Apple pay compatible readers is about 200,000. And the number of payment terminals that support just like Visa or MasterCard is about 15 million. So it gives it gives you a sense of what a small percentage of you know retail locations which support Apple Pay you could otherwise just use a regular credit card app. Most certainly. And again, I think uh, one of our show titles explained it all, which is 40,000 of those are, are Subway. Right. Exactly. And uh, so. Hmm. I, th- I think Apple is well like set up to be the only company that can actually make this type of thing work. And I don't know if you've been if you've been watching the World Series live on television. There's actually been a decent amount of advertising about actually using Apple Pay, and the credit card companies seem to be very very on board with it, just because it's in their benefit for people to use it. But I'm not sure that enough places will be able to take it for kind of the initial interest and hype uh, to sustain it. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see if this is one of those Apple things that has legs and and does continue to grow over time or whether it's like I I view it as it's like a neat tech demo right now, but I don't view it as something that I would call useful. Like I don't know, for me like in order for Apple Pay to actually have some sustaining value it basically needs to become ubiquitous. It basically needs to get to the point where 98% of the time I go to a store, I know that they're going to be able to accept my 
phone as as payment. Well, I'm not sure that's fair. Well, one, that's going to take like three to five years. Um, but also, you can't say that 98% of the time places in uh, in the Bay Area even take cash. Come on. Oh, you mean credit cards? Or y- Yes. Sorry. Um, I mean, true. Well, yeah. No, actually, that's a great point. Like, <laughs> I never carried cash around with me until I moved to San Francisco. And now I uh, constantly do. You just get random places that just re- will pretend their credit card reader doesn't work or they won't take American Express or, the, or, or what have you. That's still a thing, let alone contactless payments. So I, I don't think you can say that this is not a valuable, worthwhile feature until ni- it's until it's ubiquitous because credit card payments aren't even ubiquitous yet. I guess, I guess the po- the point that I'm making is that you know, like in the 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 couple of times I've used Apple Pay at Whole Foods, it it was slightly more convenient than pulling out my wallet and sli- swiping my credit card, but not not dramatically so. Um, it, but what if it you is, didn't have to carry your credit cards anymore? What if it, you knew it was reliable enough and you already have your phone in your hand where you're like, why not? That's that's what I'm saying, though, is that until Apple Pay is available at enough locations, like in order for me to be able to leave the house now and not bring my wallet, I would have to know that every single place that I'm planning on going to supports Apple Pay. So unless, and it, I mean, I'm literally not making this up, like unless I leave my apartment and I know that I'm only going to Walgreens and Pete's, then I I have to bring my wallet too. Well, where else are you going to go? <laughs> you, have to, you have to go pick up your uh, nice uh, premium mixed nuts, and then you get your, your, your chai tea. Nice. If only he was still listenable. Yeah. Oh. Um, uh, what about me? Um, so, but you, you, you get what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. I just, you know, I, I, think, I think the idea of Apple Pay is really great. And and the you know the experience at least the first couple of times I've used it has been as totally as promised you know no no problems fast great and it, it you know just a little side note it is more secure you know like if the Whole Foods that I've been visiting the last couple of days if they all of a sudden had a data breach where credit card transactions from the last two days had been hacked it would be no problem for me because through Apple Pay my credit card numbers never transmitted to them so that that's that is actually that's really cool. Um, so I think you just need to hold on for a year or two because the thing is just so many companies are going to be reissuing credit cards with chip and pin and everybody's going to be getting these readers to the point where it will become nearly ubiquitous for most major places, individual retailers. I mean, that's gonna be weird, but that's what I'm saying. Like that, that's what I'm, I'm hoping for. If we get to that point, then I think Apple pay has got a lot of, a lot of promise. Um, but I, I just think that until enough retailers support it, I, I just, it, it, it just, it's, its use is so limited. So I guess what I'm going to ask is if you go to a place where they do support contactless payments, um, will you still use your card? No. Or will you I, use Apple Pay? I use Apple Pay. So then Apple wins. Sure, that's true. So then, there's no downside here. I do, I do really, really, really like the I, the, the security part. You know, I didn't, I didn't mean to kind of just throw that in as like a side note. I actually do think that, again, I, th- I think it, it it maybe takes five seconds less to use Apple Pay than it does just to swipe your card. Like I don't, I don't think the convenience thing is that big of a deal. But I think, the, I think the security feature is really neat. Definitely. I, th- I think I think the idea of a retailer really never having access to my actual credit card number is awesome. So in light of this, for a person like me who uh, has not bought an iPhone 6 and is considering not buying one, if Apple Pay was the, one of the only reasons I was thinking the 6 would be a worthwhile upgrade, what is your uh, recommendation? Um, given that somebody doesn't really, uh, that, uh, that I don't care for the size of the six, not, not today. If, if the future that you're describing comes true and a year or two from now, you, the number of places that support contactless payments has tripled or whatever, then maybe, but I mean, it, it's, it is, it's really, really limited. The number of places that have contactless payments. I mean, it's literally Whole Foods, Walgreens, Pete's, Macy's, McDonald's. Like, I mean, that's that's kind of like the list. 
There's more. Oh, and, and Subway. <laughs> the fourth, more the 40,000 Subways. Yeah, I mean, there. I mean, you're right. I'm exaggerating some, but of the big major like retailers and restaurants and shops, that's those are kind of the big names. It'll change. It will change. Yeah, you're right. You've reached the end of part one. Please tune in next week for part two.